Welcome to A Tale Told by the Fire, a podcast devoted to folklore, fairy tales, and legends gathered from around the world. Welcome back, friends. I hope you are having a wonderful whatever day it is when you happen to be listening to this. Uh, Here in the United States, we just had Thanksgiving, and with that wrapping up, we're kind of fully kicking into the winter holidays, uh, which I am really excited for. We've got Christmas coming up, and of course, there's the winter solstice, and Yule Diwali just ended a couple weeks ago, I believe. We've got Hanukkah coming, uh, and so I love this time of year. The winter season uh, and the fall season are constantly competing for my favorite time of year all of the time. I mentioned last week that I had been thinking a lot about comic books lately, and that's been both in my reading and in my watching. I just finally got around several years too late to watching the very first Thor movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And of course, that features Thor and Loki and a lot of characters from Norse mythology, uh, given their own Stan Lee and Marvel twist. But it did get me thinking about mythology from the Norse, and that's actually going to be the subject of our story today. Over the next couple of weeks, though, I really want to tell stories that focus on the winter and things like Christmas or the solstice or stories inspired by that time. I noticed mentioning a lot of the holidays that light is a central theme in all of them. Diwali is a festival of lights, so is Hanukkah. Of course, the winter solstice happens on the darkest day of the year. The story of Christmas has the story of the nativity star. So light is obviously a major theme of the season as the days get darker and darker and darker. And today's story that we're going to read is from a book called The Return of the Light, by Carolyn McVicker Edwards, and it is 12 Tales from Around the World for the Winter Solstice. And the story that we are going to read, this will tie back to the comic books and Thor and Loki, is Loki and the Death of Light. The air was sweet in the upper world, home of the wind, The swamp wolf was caged, the eagle atop the world tree slumbered, the great serpent dozed at its roots. The watchmen at the rainbow bridge relaxed in the midst of sounds of teasing, laughter, and waterfalls. Green vines entwined the great hall of the goddesses with the great hall of the gods. The rainbow bridge shimmered, the giants were far away, and the deities, every one of them, were safe. Loki, that fire-haired pretzel of an athlete, neither god nor giant somersaulted to cover up his envy. He landed on his feet, but his heart felt upside down. Balder again. Every single god and goddess loving that pretty boy Balder, who was never anything but good, kind, fair, every answer of his just right, perfect, that's what Balder was, and adored for it. This very moment, the deities encircled Balder, god of light, who stood, head thrown back, radiant, arms outstretched. They were pelting him with every sort of object, each of which fell away from his body harmless as a snowflake. On and on the deities played this strange game in self-satisfied, jubilant relief. 
Just weeks before, Balder, the Glorious One, had dreamed over and over again that he would die. It's about time, Loki had thought privately, but he'd said nothing. Balder's parents, Loki's foster brother, the great magician Odin, and Odin's wife Frigg, the Fate-knower, had gripped each other anxiously, then called all the deities together. Thor had come, strutting around, swinging his irritatingly accurate hammer. Bragi had begun to froth his endless poetry. Frey, with his harvest of hair, and Freya, with her cat-drawn chariot, had brooded together while Blindhod, god of night, Baldur's shy brother, had tried clumsily to comfort Nana, Baldur's wife, who rocked, weeping in a corner. The lot of them had been shocked, mournful, then buzzing with counsel. What could be done to prevent the death of their beloved Baldur, son of light? He simply must not die, they shouted. He cannot, they roared. We will not let him. They devised a plan. Frigg would ask every single being in all nine worlds, living and not living, to refrain from hurting her precious child. Loki had turned himself into a fly on the wall and watched while Frigg, glowing with zeal, had cloaked herself for departure. Frigg asked water, air, fire, and metal, each in all its forms, not to hurt Baldur. Beasts, birds, rocks, snakes, disease, each one had assured her, she reported when she returned, that they would never, ever bring harm to Baldur, god of light. So now, giddily, smugly, the lot of them mocked fate, making of Baldur a target because he couldn't be wounded. Peelings, stones, the golden knights and pawns of their great chess set, even arrows, made no difference. Baldur's beatific participation irritated Loki all the more. Loki changed his shape. He became an old woman. He knew Frigg would mistrust him if he went to her in his own form. Frigg was spinning when the crone hobbled up to her. Your Baldur is in peril, wavered the crone. Frigg looked up, frightened. They're throwing things at him, croaked the old woman. Oh, of course, smiled Frigg, relieved. They're playing a game with him, but he can't be hurt. I've asked every being in the Nine Worlds not to hurt him. Really? The crone marveled. You talked to every single one. A flicker of annoyance passed over Frigg's face. Well, yes, she said. Everyone that counts. I didn't bother with the mistletoe. It's so small and weak, it couldn't possibly make a difference. The old woman clucked and moved slowly away, out of sight of the goddess. Loki leapt out of the old woman's shape and into his own. Snip, snap, he's reached an oak and plucked the mistletoe there, crooning a little song of triumph. Too small and weak, are you, little friend? We'll see about that. Loki carved a point on the mistletoe's thickest twig. It was soft, but Loki knew it wouldn't matter. Strange, pale weapon in his hand, he slunk back to the deity's great, silly game. He found Blind Hod, god of night, wistful as usual, standing at the sidelines. Why don't you play? asked Loki, putting his hand on Hod's shoulder. I've nothing to throw, and I can't even see him. Loki gave an encouraging snort. Ah, you can do it. Let me help. Into Hod's hand, he placed the dart. Then, using his own body as a lever, he guided Hod's shot. 
the mistletoe whistled through the air and landed its point directly into Baldur's heart. The beautiful god sank instantly to his knees and then fell face down upon the ground. The boisterous merrymaking fell deathly silent. Stunned, the gods and goddesses could not move at first. Then Nana screamed, My husband! Loki watched them, his heart gloating, but his mind unquiet. There was nothing to be done. Baldur, god of light, was dead. Hell, in the world of the mists and the dead, would be keeping a place for him. All the inhabitants of the nine worlds, the elves, dwarves, the mountain giants, frost giants, and the Valkyries paraded in the great funeral procession, moving as if made of lead, the gods and goddesses fashioned for their beloved an enormous boat. When they placed his still form on its planks, Nana's heart burst within her. Baldur's wife, then, they had to lay beside him. So despairingly weak were the deities in their sorrow that they needed a giantess to push the boat into the sea. The orange of the funeral pyre lit the ocean with an angry, mournful light. "'Who will win my undying love?' whispered Frigg. "'Who will bring my son and his wife back from Hell's underworld?' On Odin's eight-legged stallion, Hermod the Bold galloped into the Hell's underworld. A giantess stopped him. "'What are you doing here?' she asked. "'Your skin has too much color for death.' "'Have Baldur and Nana passed this way?' asked Hermod. "'I've come for them.' "'Yes. It's three days now. They are in Hell's Hall.' The ghosts of Baldur and Nana smiled wanly at Hermod. They gave him gifts for Frigg and Odin. Hermod begged Hell to let them return. "'The whole world mourns,' said Hermod. "'Nothing grows. There is neither warmth nor light. The hearts of humans and gods are dim with tears.' Interest reddened Hell's shadowed sockets. Are their eyes too dim with tears? Hermod assured her that it was so. Then so be it, said Hell, her great teeth showing. If everyone, and everything on earth, will weep for these two, they may return. The ghosts of Baldur and Nana stirred hopefully. But if even one does not shed tears, they stay. Hermod raced back with his wonderful news. Everything and everyone wept, and the mistletoe especially cried for its terrible part in the death of Baldur. Ever after, the mistletoe carries the pearl-like berries of its tears. But Loki, he alone strained against his ordinary shape and took the shape of a giantess. I do not weep, sulked Loki from inside his disguise. He never wept for me, and I do not weep for him. And so it was that Loki's dry eyes kept Baldur in the world of the dead. The gods and goddesses, enraged, caught Loki. He changed himself to a salmon this time, and hidden in a pool at the side of the house with the four doors, north, south, east, and west. Odin caught him in a net and squeezed him tightly that he might not wriggle away. Ever after, the body of the salmon slims toward the tail where Odin once grabbed. The deities chained Loki to a rock. They hung a poisonous snake above him to drip venom in his face. Loki's wife, ever faithful, stood catching the poison in a bowl as it fell. But each time she left to empty the bowl, the venom fell into Loki's face. The earth trembled and shook then with Loki's agony. Baldur did return, but not until Loki had broken free of his fetters and loosed the swamp wolf from his prison. The great serpent at the bottom of the world tree uncoiled. The watchman at the Rainbow Bridge blasted his trumpet when he saw them coming. 
The eagle atop the world tree awoke and screamed in terror. The swamp wolf swallowed Odin. The great serpent wreathed and spit flames that engulfed all the nine worlds. In a last burst of power, the sun gave birth to a daughter even more beautiful than she. Then finally, onto the ashes came Baldur, god of light, free from the underworld, clinging tenderly to the arm of his nana. And then the only two humans left in the middle world, the two who had hidden themselves away, came out into this new light. Their names were Life and Stubborn Will to Live. The gods and goddesses then, the ones who were left, gathered together on the sunlit plain of the upper world, home of the wind. Shyly, joyfully, they clung to the returning couple, even as Life and Stubborn Will to Live had clung to each other in the middle world. The gods and goddesses sifted through the wreckage of their great hall. In the ruins, they found the golden chess pieces with which they had once amused themselves. Slowly, slowly, they began to play again. And that, my friends, is this week's story. And again, it was called Loki and the Death of Light. The reading was from The Return of the Light, 12 Tales from Around the World for the Winter Solstice by Carolyn McVicker Edwards. I love that story. The first version of that story that I ever actually read was as told by Neil Gaiman in his book, Norse Mythology. And if you have the chance to read that, I highly, highly recommend it. As with everything that Neil Gaiman does, it is absolutely brilliant. I hope you enjoyed the story. I hope you have a wonderful week. I hope that you encounter something that makes you feel wonder, that takes your breath away. As always, I'm your host, Sean Jex. If you enjoyed the story, please share it. Tell it to someone else. Keep these stories alive. And until next time, keep telling stories. Mm -hmm.